This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. He is faithful. I said he's faithful. Your presence here is a clear indication, is clear evidence of the faithfulness of God. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Sabbath, everybody. We thank God that ours is the privilege of worshiping the potentate of the universe. We affirm and declare that all the other gods of the nations are idols, but our God made the heavens and the earth. Let me welcome every worshiper here and let me assure you that God has blessings in store where the presence of God is, there are blessings. No doubt by now you've heard that um, Pastor Kevin will be transitioning uh, from us. His last Sabbath here will be September 10th, and in the meantime, Pastor Jen and I have conspired to ensure that in the remaining days we will work him like a horse. <laughs> we thank God for his ministry here, and I know God is going to do some uh, great things with him as he seeks to expand his territory. Continuing worship with the subject, Have You Seen His Glory? Have You Seen His Glory. We'll be looking at a narrative that has been recorded by the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I've chosen Mark's account of the story as I find that it has more details than the others. Though every now and again I'll be making references to the other two accounts. Matthew records the story in Matthew chapter 16, 28 on to chapter 17, verse 21. Luke records the story in Luke 9, 27 to 42, and the account that will form the basis of our study today is Mark's account in Mark 9. 1 through to 29, let not your heart be troubled, will not be going through all the verses. <laughs> now, to those who will read these verses, Mark 9, 1 through to 29, and see there are two separate stories. However, I believe that the two events described in the chapter have a direct bearing on each other. 
that there is a connection, a correlation between them both. And I'm hoping at the end you will see the connection. Our focus verses, verses 1 and 2 of Mark chapter 9 says, And he said to them, But surely I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Verse 2, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. This is the Word of God, and I believe it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in the service thus far. And as we continue now with the study of your Word, we ask that once again you will arrest our attention, remove every distraction, that you will use this feeble, mortal lump of clay, that you will speak to me and through me words of hope, words of truth we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there's some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Verse 2, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Now, neighbor, I want you to know that there is a link between verse 1 and verse 2 of Mark chapter 9. That is, the promise that was made in verse 1 is being fulfilled in verse 2 and outward. The promise that Jesus made that there were those standing there, some standing there, who would experience His glory and His power is now being fulfilled in verse 2 and onward in the narrative. So Jesus, He takes these three, three disciples who had formed His inner circle. These three, Peter, James, and John, the kids back in the day would call them Jesus' ride-or-die crew. They had experienced, according to this narrative, a miniature version of the kingdom of glory, a scaled-down version, a miniature version in terms of its scope and its scale. And though it was miniature, neighbor, it blew their mind. It was a woe moment for them. But before we go any further in the narrative, I want you to note, it is instructed to note, that Jesus, while he sojourned here on earth, Jesus had his inner circle. Peter, James, and John. He took them when he went to raise Jairus' daughter. Peter, James, and John. 
He took them with him when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane just before his crucifixion. Peter, James, and John. And now, as described in this chapter, he's taking them to what we now call the Mount of Transfiguration. And according to the prolific Christian writer Ellen G. White in her book, The Desire of Ages, in the chapter, chapter 30, where he ordains the twelve, she says that one of the reasons these three, Peter, James, and John, had formed the inner circle of Jesus was that they were constantly with him, witnessing his miracles and hearing his word. And she said that of John, he had had the most receptive of spirit. It seemed as if these three men, Peter, James, and John, had exhibited a greater degree of commitment to the cause of Christ. And neighbor, one of the lessons, I believe, for you and I today, even in 2022, is this, that not every acquaintance can be your friend. Hello? And not every friend can be part of your inner circle. I need to say it again. And even in church, by the way, not every acquaintance, not every acquaintance can be a friend. And not every friend can be part of your inner circle. I learned years ago that we all have a free sphere of influence or how we meet people. There is that outer sphere where I just, I'm just meeting you. Hello, my name is Noel. How are you? And it's out here. But after we get to know each other, then we move a little closer. And then after a year or so, then we are even closer. And I have found it quite annoying, to say the least, and perhaps have a witness in the house, when you meet some folks for the first time, and they want to be right up in your face. <laughs> but Jesus had his inner circle Peter, James, and John, that he took with him on these occasions. And Luke, in his account of this narrative, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28, says that Jesus had taken them up to the mountain to pray. To, to do what? To do what? To pray. You see, they had been ministering to the people all day. And now Jesus, while leaving the other nine disciples, Pastor Mike, at the foot of the mountain, he now takes these three with him. He takes them up to the top of the mountain to pray. The time of his supreme sacrifice was drawing near, and Jesus knew this. And so he needed to touch base with headquarters. He needed to touch base with his father. And so he went up to the mountain and he took his inner circle with him, hoping that they would be in communion with him as they reach, as he rather, reached out to his father. But when they got to the foot of the mountain, because they were working all day, the Bible says that these boys fell asleep. But then they were awakened by a bright light a bright light that emanated from our Lord. And I find it very interesting how Mark describes it in his, in his account, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 3. Mark 9 verse 3. Mark describes it this way. Mark says in Mark 9 verse 3, His clothes became shining exceedingly white such as no launderer on earth can whiten. His clothes became shining 
exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten. One of the things that my wife Christine will tell you about me is I'm very finicky when it comes to my shirts. Uh, that no one does my shirts but me. I like my shirts to be done a certain way, and, and I'm of the belief that if I'm finicky about something, then I should do that thing. And I remember some years ago, I had, uh, I had a, a couple members of my church who owned a dry cleaning store. As a matter of fact, they owned two uh, such stores, and uh, I started to uh, uh, take my, my, my dry cleaning there, and they did an awesome job. Just a terrific job. They, they were so good at what they, what they did. And, and I remember one, one, one day I had gone by to, uh, to collect uh, my clothes, and, and, and the wife said, Pastor, do you have a minute? I, there's a story I need to share with you. She said, a few weeks ago, a man came into our store, and he brought a shirt with him, and, and uh, we cleaned the shirt. He came, retrieved the shirt, a few days after, he took the same shirt back, and it was more soiled than the time before. And we cleaned the shirt, and he, he took it back a third time and a fourth time. And, and she said, Pastor, by the fifth time, I was annoyed that the fellow was bringing back the same shirt. And my, and, and my, and my husband reminded me, "Hun, we are in the dry cleaning business. As often as he brings it and pays for it, we will clean it. And then she said, the man returned to our store, and he asked to speak with the manager who was in charge. I told him, well, it's, uh, the store is owned by myself and my husband. He said, now, now I work for, for the village, and we're looking for a dry cleaning store to clean all the uniforms for, for, for the police and the firefighters and all the workers in the village. And I am going to recommend your store because I came in here with the same shirt five times and each time you did such a fantastic job. She said, Pastor, a few weeks ago, they called us to say we won the contract. And I can tell you this, Pastor, if all we have as a client is the village, we'll be all right. There is something to be said in doing a job well. Come on, say amen. But you know, as I read this text this week and I reflected on those members, not even them could have, could have, could have accomplished this that Mark, Mark describes here. Mark says that no laundry mat, no dry cleaning can make it as white as, as they experienced that day. And Mark continues with the narrative in verse uh, uh, 4 of chapter 9 by saying, notice, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, now, Luke is the only one of the synoptic writers to mention the subject of the discussion that Elijah and Moses were having with Jesus. Luke says in his account in Luke chapter 9 verse 31 that they, that is Elijah and Moses, they spoke of his decease which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. In other words, in other words, neighbor, Moses and Elijah were having a discussion with Jesus regarding his death on Calvary. These two men, Moses and 
and Elijah. They had their uh, addresses changed from earth to heaven. Moses and Elijah, they had relocated from the terrestrial plane to the celestial uh, palace. Moses and Elijah, they were now comforting our Lord as Jesus faced his death. You see, they could relate. They knew the struggles of life down here. But more importantly, they represented, watch this, Moses and Elijah, they represented all those who will be saved because of the sacrifice of Christ. Moses, Pastor Paul, represented those who will be resurrected to life eternal. While Elijah represented those who will be translated without seeing death. Moses and Elijah and every person hereafter, they were in heaven and we will be in heaven based on the surety of the Savior. We will be in heaven and they will be in heaven based on the fact that Jesus would die on the cross. Let me put it where you can touch it. Moses and Elijah were in heaven on credit. Jesus would now pay the bill on the cross. You don't get it. Moses and Elijah, they're in heaven on credit. The bill was coming due. And Jesus would now pay the bill, would now be the, the cross, would be the surety of them remaining in heaven. As Mark continues the narrative in verses 5 and 6, it says that when the disciples saw the scene, they were so overwhelmed that they could hardly speak except for Peter who said, Lord, what we have here is more than just a Kodak moment. So let's not just capture this moment, Lord. Let's contain it. Let's build us some tabernacles. Let us stay here a while. Peter, and I'm sure James and John felt that they wouldn't mind living on this mountain. They wouldn't mind having a groundhog day over and over and over and over and over again. You know, beloved, if you live long enough, you will have those moments in life that you wish you could pause. If you live long enough, you will have those moments in life that you wish you could just rewind. You could live over and over and over again. July 29, 1989. I saw her again. She was talking to a friend of mine. I'd seen her for the first time in February. And that time she was talking with a friend of mine. And, and just as I was moving towards finding out who she was and to meet her, uh, she sauntered away. And so I said to my friend, hey, who was that angel you were talking to? And he told me her name and, and the church she attended. And, and some months after, it was July 29, 1989, I'd gone to a church convention and I saw her sitting there with her friend and I purposed in my heart that I would meet her after the service. And so during the service, I had one, one eye on the preacher and one eye on her. <laughs> 
And right after the service, as she stepped out with her friend, I went over and introduced myself to both of them, but uh, said to the friend, I really want to talk with her. And introduced, and even as I'm talking about it, my heart is all, oof. Thank you, Jesus, for July 29, 1989. Thank you, Lord. That was when I met Christine. And, and, and you know, I, I, even now, I wish I could freeze the moment. If you live long enough, you have those moments in life that you wish you could just have over and, and over and, and over again. They were such a, on a spiritual high that they, they wished, Olivia, that they could keep this moment. And there have been times when I've had a Holy Ghost time in church that I wish the service wouldn't end. I wish I wouldn't have to leave the service and get back to my reality. Lord, could we keep this moment? Could not we build some tabernacles? Could not we stay here a little longer? As the story continues, it says that a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they heard the voice of the Father from, from heaven affirming that this is my beloved Son, hear him. But I told you in the beginning, neighbor, that there is another scene to the story. Because watch this, while they were up on the mountain having a glorious time, the powers of darkness, the powers of darkness seemed to be holding sway at the foot of the mountain. So as they descended the mountain, as they came down the mountain, Jesus said to them, Now, fellows, don't share with anyone yet what you've just witnessed. Uh, you can share it after my resurrection from the dead. And one of the inferences there is that Jesus knew that he would rise from the dead. So they arrive at the foot of the mountain, they arrive at the base of the mountain, and there is a great commotion going on. Some of the religious leaders, namely the scribes, are disputing with the people and with the other nine disciples. And in verse 16 of Mark's account, it says that Jesus heads straight towards them and said, why are you questioning them? Why are you playing 20 questions with them? You know you're not interested in the answers. You know you're not interested in the truth. So why are you questioning them? And then in Mark chapter 9, 17 and 18, Mark says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And... Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus, I imagine, almost in frustration, says in verse 19 of the chapter, Oh, faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Jesus says, bring him to me. They brought the boy to Jesus. And the Bible records that when the demon saw our Lord, it threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to be wallowing on the ground and foaming at the mouth. Now, don't miss this. In a brief space of time, 
Peter, James, and John had now witnessed the extreme of glory and the extreme of humiliation. The extreme of glory and the extreme of humiliation. Peter, James, and John had experienced glory on the top of the mountain. And now they're experiencing shame at the foot of the mountain. At the summit of the mountain, Peter, James, and John had seen humanity transfigured into the very image of God, but now the base of the mountain, they had witnessed humanity in its baseless form, in the likeness of the devil himself. These two, glory, shame, transfiguration, debasement. In a single day, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? The father said, well, Lord, ever since he was a little boy, many times it pitches him into the fire or the river to take him away. Lord, if you can do anything, please help us. And note, among other things, based on what the the father reported, neighbor, that the devil's ultimate objective is our demise, is our destruction. The father says that that when when the possession happens, it, it, it throws him into the fire. It throws him into the water. That is, it's seeking to destroy the boy. The devil has only one objective, and that is your demise. That is your destruction. Jesus, can you help him? And in verse 23, Jesus says to the Father, If you can believe all things. How many things? All things. How many things? All things are possible to him who believes. And in verse uh, 24 of the chapter, the Bible says... Immediately. How quickly? Immediately. How quickly? How quickly? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe you can do this, Jesus. I believe you're able to do it. And where I may have doubt, please help my doubt. Seeing that the crowd was forming fast, Jesus Jesus, when you read it there, he gave the vile spirit. He gave the vile spirit its marching orders. Jesus said to him, dumb and deaf spirit, I command you out of him and stay out of him. Screaming and with much trashing about, the spirit left. The boy was pale as a corpse. People started to inquire, is he dead? But Jesus said, no, he's not. Take his hand and raise him up. And the boy stood up. Here is something you've got to leave with today. There is no power greater than the power of our God. Now, the privilege of uh, going on a visit with Pastor Mike. And thank you so much, Pastor. Did learn a number of lessons that day. Someone who had hearing some uh, funny noise and uh, 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 told Pastor Mike ahead of time and prepare ourselves. And when he got into that space, one of the things that we, we affirmed with the person was that there is no power 
that's greater than God's. And once you and I surrender to him, there is no power, no demon in hell that can arrest the child of God, that God cannot subject. Come on, say amen. Jesus commanded him, get out of the boy and stay out. I don't care what it is. There is no power greater than the power of God. Years ago, when I was a student in school, I, a friend of mine, were pretty close and had a very, very interesting influence on me and I on him. And, and his mother was, did not too care for that. She, she was not a believer and, and uh, she believed in, in witchcraft and, and she felt that I was inspiring her son towards righteousness. It bothered her. And I remember she, she told me, I'm going to put a spell on you. I'm going to, in Jamaica, we call it Steve the Obia Man. I'm going to go to the Obia Man. And, and, and part of what would, would, would work is uh, he's got to have uh, some clothing and some piece of you uh, so for, for the Obia to work. And I said, do you want me to give you a piece of my shirt or something to take? And, and some of my friends, oh, Noel, aren't you scared? Scared of what? I serve the king of kings and, and the lord of lords. There is no power greater than my God's power. When I am surrendered to him, there is no power greater than his. Jesus commanded the, the, the demon, get out of the boy, stay out of him. So in verse 28 of the chapter, they, they get back to the house. And the other nine disciples, they, they called Jesus privately, and they said, Now, Lord, Lord, um, can we talk with you a minute? Why weren't we able to cast a demon out of the boy? You see, according to Mark chapter uh, 6 and verse 13, these same disciples had performed an exorcism before. But at this time, it didn't work. Because in Mark uh, chapter uh, 6 and verse 13, the Bible says, And they, including these same disciples, cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They had done it before. So what was the problem now? Note that Matthew includes a response in his version, that's not recorded by Mark or Luke. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, Matthew says, Jesus responded to them by saying, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And Nothing. How many things? Nothing. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then Matthew ends with a note that is synonymous to the synoptics. In verse 21 of Matthew 17, Matthew ends and he says, Jesus says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and prayer and except by prayer 
and fasting. And someone will read that line and, and think that Jesus is saying, you just need to push buttons A and B, and then you get C. That the problem was you did not push the right button. Or that Jesus is sharing some secret spiritual formula. Or Jesus was saying, the problem was you all forgot the sauce. There was a time in my life when, I call it now, I was a teenager, I call it my catch-up phase. There was a time in my life when I would put ketchup on everything, uh, much to the consternation of my mother and the annoyance of my friends. I believed that whatever I was eating was not fully palatable unless I added ketchup to it. I would just add ketchup to everything, and, 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 and you know, thank God I've grown up now. <laughs> But, 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 you know, you have some folks who believe that if you, if you add hot sauce to something, it's kind of like some folks, if you put a hot sauce on cardboard, they'll eat it. You know, and some folks would read this and think Jesus is saying, the problem is you all forgot the secret sauce. No, no, no. You see, the reason the other nine could not perform the miracle was that they had not been in communion with God. Follow me carefully. You see, instead, their hearts had been filled with sadness and doubt because Jesus had shared with them, along with the other three, about his impending death. And instead of, be, uh, of being in communion with God, their hearts were filled with jealousy because Jesus had chosen and had only taken Peter, James, and John up to the mountain with him. They were busy arguing about who was the greatest. So Jesus was saying that this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. He was saying, how do you expect to do my Father's will when you are not in communion with Him? Prayer and fasting helps us to surrender ourselves to God. You can't expect to perform miracles when you are caught up in yourself. Because God says, in Isaiah 42 verse 8, He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. If you are so caught up in yourself, if you are caught up in getting the credit, if you are caught up in the, in the headlines and the flashes, if you are caught up with your name being called and given the recognition, how can you perform miracles in my name? God says, I'll not share my glory with anyone. In order to succeed then, the disciples needed to empty themselves of themselves. It is only as we empty ourselves of, our, of ourselves that we can be filled with the Spirit of God and with the power of God, and that's what the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting can achieve. For us to be in a state of complete dependence on God, 
Let me end with this quotation. Let me end with this. She says, Desire of Ages, not alone upon the mountaintop with Jesus. And the hours of spiritual illumination is the life of Christ's servants to be spent. She says, there is a work to be done in the plain. Souls whom Satan has enslaved are waiting for the word of faith and prayer to set them free. So I ask you, have you seen his glory? When we come to worship, the only thing that we must seek is the glory of God. The only experience we must seek after is the glory of God. Not to hear our favorite preacher, not to hear our favorite praise team, not to hear whatever, but our aim must to ensure that we experience God's glory. And those of us who lead out in worship, those of us who plan the worship services, we must ensure that each element of the worship brings glory and honor to God and God alone. Because when you have seen his glory, when you experience the glory of God, it colors everything. You look at life differently. You look at challenges differently. When you've seen his glory, when you go back down into the valley, you can deal with the devil, demon, possessed folks. You can deal with the challenges of life. When you've caught a glimpse of who God is. The reason some of us become fearful and we allow fear to drive our lives is because we do not appreciate or understand that the God we serve is the God of the impossible. And you learn that by submitting yourself to him. God will not give or share his glory with anyone. However, friends, once we have experienced his glory, it will empower us, it will motivate us to do service for him. So have you seen his glory? If you've seen his glory, then, then you ought to take, you ought to take it to those who are wallowing in darkness. I believe, quite frankly, that too many of us spend too much time within the four walls of the church. I believe that sometimes too many of us, we spend too much time with church people. I submit that we need to spend more time in private communion with God so that we may rescue the perishing and care for the dying and snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. I believe that we need to spend some time weeping over the erring one and lifting up the fallen and tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. If you experience the glory of God, you need to share glory 
those in the valley. The songwriter says, I'd love to live on a mountaintop, be fellowshipping with the Lord. Love to stand on a mountaintop because I love to feel my spirit soar. But I must come down from the mountaintop to the people in the valley below because they'll never know that they can go to the mountain of the Lord. For those of us who have seen his glory, for those of us who have experienced God on the mountain, he wants us now to take him to those in the valley. Have you seen his glory? Then share and give his glory to those in the valley. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I invite you to stand with us as we sing our closing. I give myself away, just surrendering all to you, God, so that you can use us to do your service in this world today.
yourself today. surrendering to him I'm tired of seeing neighbors friends acquaintances trapped by the devil I want God to use me to bring to them a message of liberation I want God to use me in my neighborhood. I want God to use me when I'm standing in the checkout line at Walmart. I want God to use me as a, as a conduit of His grace and power. Yeah. But He can only do that as I give myself away. Can't be about rose. Can't be about my, 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 my ambitions. It, it has to be about Jesus. And I believe one of the reasons God does not wrought more miracles among us is because we are too much about ourselves. And God is saying, won't you get out of the way so I can work? I want to get out of the way so he can work. How about you? I want God to use me. As I go back to the valley, of my job, the valley of school, the valley of neighbors, the valley of unconverted uh, family members. I want God to use me there in the valley to bring salvation and liberty. Here today, watching online, not ex- yet accepted Jesus. Let me testify on behalf of many in this audience that there is no life that's more successful than a life surrendered to Jesus. That there is power in surrender. There's power in surrender. You're here today. Say, Lord, I want to surrender to you. Hold your hand up. He sees the hand. God bless you. You're online. Go ahead and do next steps. Next steps. Next steps. For those who've been walking with Jesus, You've experienced the glory of God today. And you're saying, Lord, I want you to use me for your glory. I, I've got some co-workers who are who, strung out on drugs. I've got, I've got children who are wayward. I've got neighbors, Lord, who, who, who by all accounts, they seem demon-possessed. I want to be used by you for your glory. For your glory. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the time we spent together in worship. You are worthy of all our worship. And Lord, we confess and ask that you forgive us for those moments when we made it about us. 
for those moments when we allow our selfish desires and our selfish needs to get in the way of your glory. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. We surrender to you so that you can use us for your glory. Pray for that man, that woman, that boy, that girl in house who is watching right now and who will watch in the near future, who have not yet, who has not yet made that surrender, that through the working of your Holy Spirit, you speak to that heart and help them to know the joy of a surrendered life. We leave this place, but never from your presence. Go with us. Rest and abide with us and use us for your glory, we ask. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.